1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. member of FDIC.
0: Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rui, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Sam Vecini of The Athletic, of the Game Theory podcast, and as you would expect, the two of us are talking about the NBA draft. And while we do an update on Victor Wampanyama and Scoot Henderson, Scoot's been missing some time, so we haven't, don't have as much to talk about there. Our primary focus is actually Sam's next tier in the draft. And lots of interesting conversations. Those are players I'm mostly less familiar with. And so we went through the strengths and weaknesses, who could potentially work their way into that tier. But that's really where the focus of this episode was. This episode of Real GM Radio is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Episode runs just about an hour. Lots of good stuff in here. Hope you really enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Danny, what's going on, man? I'm so glad to get to talk to you here. I just got back from the gym. Uh and my brain is scattered in a million directions. So this has a chance to be even more of a scatterbrained, tangent-filled podcast than what we typically do. Uh, we're not coming in with a plan here. Nope. We're just rolling. And this we're, is going to be great.
0: We're just rolling. We'll do it, well, live for us, not live for everyone else. And I, I think... We're not going to spend a half an hour on him like we did on each of our podcasts the last time you and I talked. But from what I've heard, it seems like kind of course is steady for Victor Wembanyama. It seems like things have been going well in the French League.
1: Yeah. Hot take. Being 18 years old and being the best player in a professional league in Europe is pretty good. Pretty pretty good. (laughs) Uh, I mean, like, it's hard to overemphasize what the numbers are, is what I would say. Like, whatever you see in terms of the insane highlights, and they're obviously insane when you see them come up on Twitter and he's... Gathering like from outside of the three-point line and finishing with a f- floater at the baseline, and you know, knocking down threes and this, that, and the other thing. Right. Uh, right now, Victor Wembanyama is averaging twenty-three point six points, shooting fifty-two percent from the field. from three, 75% from the line. That 25% from three number is uh, low. Uh, And it's not reflective of his shooting. I don't think it's because so many of his three point shots are self-created as Mm -hmm. opposed to like being catch and shoot shots. Mm -hmm. Um, He's also averaging 9.4 rebounds, two and a half assists, and 2.8 blocks. I believe he's leading the French league in scoring, definitely leading the French league in blocks. And I think he's like second in rebounding or something. Incredible. Like wh- what he's doing in that league is. Unheard of, essentially. Yeah, and, uh, it is unbelievable.
0: And and while the French league is not the best domestic league in the world, it is still a league filled with professionals and good basketball players. And for a teenager to do this is insanely impressive.
1: Yeah, he's actually first in rebounding now. Ah. Uh, Kamagate. he finally passed Ishmael Kamagate, the Nuggets second round pick from last year that I actually had a first round grade on and quite like a little bit. um But yeah, like you look through, you know, it, it's a who's who of former college stars and. Like great players, right? So, like, Matt Morgan was like a three time player of the year in the Ivy League. Marcus Keene was, uh, if I remember correctly, like a player of the year in the MAC. Kyle Ullman was a player of the year in the Big West. James Palmer was all Big Ten at Nebraska. Dominic Artis was all Conference USA at UTEP. Matt Mitchell was all Mountain West at San Diego State. Marcus McDuffie was all, uh, I believe, AAC when Wichita State was there. His tenure kind of encompassed both. Uh, Wichita State's move to the AAC. Um, And that's your top nine in scoring outside of Victor Wembanyama. So it's these guys that have been professionals for many years now that were elite of the elite college basketball players, have only gotten better since then. And like those are the guys he's playing on a night to night basis. And he's utterly dominating them.
0: Yeah, it's it's remarkable. Scoot Henderson. By the way, it's
1: it's scary to me that I knew all of those guys where they went to college and like had like a little mini biographical thing. You, like you're, you're, you're
0: really really good at this sam um,
1: <laughs> little scary
0: little scary um scoot henderson's only played in six games so far for the julie Knight. i think that's roughly about half of it i you would know better than i would if what the context there is i'm assuming it's some sort of injury um From what you've heard or what you've seen, is there anything that has changed his place in the top two but likely two conversation?
1: Not for me. Uh, Scoot, like, broke his nose, if I remember correctly, uh, a couple weeks ago. So he, you know, has missed a little bit of time at this point. And I've seen nothing that makes me any less enthusiastic about Scoot. He has been uh, absolutely dominant in the G league this year. I mean, you, you can parse more with scoot, right? Like you can come up with this, that, and the other thing that you have concerns about, but he's shooting really well from the field. He's hitting 47% from three unlimited attempts, but more than anything, he's a guy that gets a lot of his like pull up, uh, pull up scoring from the mid range. And, that's been pretty fine in terms of efficiency this year as well he's averaging six assists versus about three turnovers a game uh and it's just explosiveness every time you watch him you're just like this guy is so explosive he's improved as a ball handler he's improved as a playmaker a passer a decision maker i have i have no concerns about scoot he's 18 years old and he's dominating certainly the second most talented league in the world i mean like i think that It's probably not the second best league in the world. I would say EuroLeague is better than the G League just in terms of like cohesion and togetherness and scheme and everything like that. But the G League has dudes in that league. It's just that like there's so much movement up and down from the NBA teams and, you know, everything like that that it's – but it doesn't end up always looking like the prettiest basketball like it does in EuroLeague. um but he's he has stood out even among like the great players that are currently not in the NBA and he is doing it at 18 years old
0: it is I guess you could say slightly unfortunate for Scoot that he's doing this in a year that there is a guy who could presumably be taken above him. But also, that's not necessarily the worst thing in terms of where you end up. We'll have to see how the lottery turns out. We're still months and months and months away from that. And going back to the last time you and I discussed things, it seemed like the prospect field was pretty open after that. And what I remember thinking was, well, there will definitely be players, whether whether they're in college or or they're the, obviously the Thompson Twins in Overtime Elite or anything else who could step up. is Has anyone really kind of worked their way into like a a, cl- a clarification in like, I don't know, three, four, five, six, something, something there?
1: Yeah. So I would say that th- the way that I have this thing tiered right now is like Vic is often a tier of his own. Scoot is often a tier of his own. And then I would say there's a group from three until like nine that I really, really like. And I think any of those nine, may, maybe a couple of them couldn't quite get that high. But like, I, I don't know if Kasem Wallace is going to go number three overall, but I love him and I think he's going to be a great rotation player in the NBA, a great starter level, maybe borderline all star in the way that Drew Holiday is kind of a borderline all star mm-hmm. um, player in the NBA. Uh, it is ceiling if things go right. Um, then from 10 until like 13 or so, I have four guys that I think are very likely to go in the first round somewhere. And then after that, I think it's extremely open and NBA scouts teams in general, even agents like they're really hunting and like trying to find guys that are going to be first round picks this year. There's a big group that has a lot of talent, but uh, for one reason or another may not be quite as polished. Uh, The big thing in this class is that typically there's something in the ballpark of 14 to 16 players that return to college basketball that end up going in the first round. Right now, I would say I have one, I have two, three, four, five, I have like six seven or eight and that's it so the returning class to college basketball still has a lot of questions which is something that nba scouts really felt coming into the year that this returning class to college basketball was not a particularly great fit for where the nba is going because many of the best players in college basketball are your seven foot giants your zach Edis, your um you know drew timmy six foot ten but drew timmy your oscar Sheepways, your armando Baycox, you know, the list goes on and on Colin Castleton, um, you know it you keep you could keep going there are a bunch of other ones too I think I said Zach Eady. he's probably the favorite for national player of the year right now so yeah it, it's it's a college class that is somewhat incongruous with where the NBA seems to be headed in terms of pace and space
0: it reminds me there was a stretch in college football I think it was like eight years ago might have been I might not be getting the exact timing right where there was that split if it's like I think it was right when the some of the spread stuff was going on in college football football where there was this conflict of like what is successful in college football and what is successful in professional football aren't necessarily the same thing. And so they're recruiting and developing and you know the the job of whether we want to go a painter at Purdue or any other coach anywhere else yep. is to primarily win college basketball games. Like that you you can argue that there are other things that are important as well and I would agree with that. But if those are divergent whether it's due to the overall talent level or the way the game is officiated or you know, just everything else, then it it makes some sense. And when you said that about kind of how how everything is structured, my first thought was, that sounds like an eye of the beholder draft and what i mean by that is there are a lot of players in different places that are kind of similarly like if you want to go in terms of 2k they'll have a similar overall rating but they have very different strengths and weaknesses and so the hope is if you're at four or if you're at five there's one of those that you like better than the others because otherwise it can get really hairy
1: yeah i think that it's somewhat that uh to go back to your previously about like the NFL versus like the college you know air raid spread and everything like that that you saw occur I think that I think that the difference here is as we've gone on within football we've seen the NFL pick up more and more of those principles right like it was more of like a transition where college was like in some ways ahead of the NFL in terms of like offensive scheme team. Right. It was a little bit more creative in the college to NBA, you know, transition. It's almost the opposite where these, the NBA is going a different way in terms of bigs and in terms of valuing big men where they're phasing them out as opposed to like phasing in these like super giants who struggle to move and like, don't have a ton of mobility because the geometry of the basketball court is different in college. And like someone like Zach Eady can hang defensively Because he's not put in like oceans upon oceans of space uh, and in transition because of the insane level athletes that exist within the NBA there's a lot more space for those bigs to op- occupy in college basketball. And I think we're going to see more and more four-year bigs that stay for a long time and become like centerpieces of a team's attack. And the biggest reason for that, for why that's going to be, is that these guys can now make more money in college basketball right. than they in the NBA because of NIL. Like the guy that I've been thinking about within this construct is Kyle Filipowski a lot at Duke. Duke has yet to have in the NIL era – Like, you know, think about Duke basketball. Let's just be real for a second, right? Like Duke basketball is like synonymous with these like, you know, high motor white dudes, right? Just call it what it is, right? Kyle Filipowski is the first guy to come along in the NIL era where he will be like able to make money off of that brand that has already been established at Duke, right? So how is this going to work for him? Because when you talk to NBA scouts about Kyle Filipowski, some of them really like him. Some of them love the fact that, you know, he plays with real energy. He can handle the ball for a guy that's six foot 11. He has potential to shoot like somewhat at volume long term. He's a good passer. But then you talk to others and they're like, is he kind of like a slightly more athletic Henry Ellenson? Like that's a name that comes up with him sometimes from scouts. So his stock is going to be all over the board for NBA teams. Some are really going to like him. Some are going to be like just not have him on their board at a level that is commensurate with him leaving college basketball so like if he can go back to Duke next year be the preseason national player of the year and make God knows how much money. This is like a totally speculative guess. This is not me reporting anything. Like if he could make $2 million, you know, going back to Duke next year, he almost like just from like a safety perspective, like has to do that. Right. So it's going to be fascinating to see some of these bigs, what they decide to do in the grand scheme of how they go about developing their careers, how they go about kind of playing the game. Right. Because like Drew Timmy, you know, I talked to Drew Timmy on my podcast. He like... uh I got the impression that, like, if he would have been a top 40 guy, he would have left college last year.
0: Oh, if he had but, a guarantee, yeah.
1: Yeah, like, if he would have had a guarantee to be a top 40 pick, I think he probably would have left college, despite the fact that he had all of this money on the table. Ultimately, because he wasn't that, he decided to go back to Gonzaga. And I mean, I think he's going to make seven figures this year, basically. That's an estimate. Again, me not reporting, like, express knowledge of this. But from conversations, I've gotten the impression that he's going to make seven figures this year. Year. So like these big guys, what do they end up deciding to do when it comes down, comes back to the draft, right? Like when it comes to their draft decision, how much do they use their draft decision to get more money out of their schools, get more mm-hmm. money out of potential advertisers and out of potential collective NIL groups uh, at their universities, right? They're going to hold all of the power and they're going to be able to really launch a bidding war if they really, really want to. And the, best thing that any school can have is a returning superstar, right? So these NIL collectives, these you know, potential advertisers for these kids, schools are really going to try and keep these kids as much as they can. So I think we haven't yet seen like the Zenith or like the highest point of what these NIL races are going to get to. I think they're only going to get bigger. And I think that where we're going to see that happen is within particularly centers within college basketball. I think that the numbers that those guys can get, we're starting to see it because I think that Kyle Tucker, for instance, at the athletic has reported that like Oscar Shibway is going to make in the neighborhood of like $2 million this year. That's kind of why I came up with the number two for Kyle Filipowski. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that like we're going to see those numbers potentially get even higher as things really start to like continue on moving forward.
0: The concept, which I believe is going to become a reality of college athletes making the informed choice to go back to school only partially because the idea that they're going to bump their draft stock like that has been the framework for eons now basically since the especially since the age limit came in but even honestly before that where it was like i think i can do better and we saw various players do you know come back and and bump their stock and then of course you see, see some that don't but because of the nil the idea that players will make decisions and honestly in most cases probably correct ones to stay in school irrespective of how it could change their draft stock is just it like when you for me as somebody who doesn't go through these boards like the one that you do with an informed perspective early the idea that you're seeing somebody on it who would make that decision for that reason is just something I'm going to have to adjust to. I'm not criticizing it. I think they're doing the right thing. It's just different.
1: Yeah, it really is. And maybe maybe this is how we transition to your point about this being an eye of the beholder draft. I I think that that's Largely right in this case, because I, I do think that some of this will sort itself out throughout the course of the year. Um, there are a lot of good players in the lottery of this draft. There are less good players the more you stretch into like the teens and 20s in this class, I think. Sure. Um, and I mean that like comparatively to other classes, not necessarily, um, you know, obviously there are less good players the further down you get into the draft order. But I, I mean, particularly in the this class um well like i do think on that that, that front
0: like the way one of the ways you and i have described it over the years is stars starters and rotation players and it sounds like what you're saying is the star group is strong the rotation the starter group is pretty strong but the rotation group is very weak
1: i don't even know that it's very weak i think that there is a lot of very potential variant outcomes because of how young the players are that Mm. are likely to be drafted um, like, I'll give you an example. So, there's a kid at Central Florida right now, Taylor Hendricks. He was like a top 100 kid in his recruiting class. He's a one, potential one and done freshman. He is. I've been told a little bit more over six foot nine. He plays like almost as like the center for UCF at times. He plays a lot of the four as well, but he has a really smooth stroke. I think he's hitting something like 50% from three right now. Uh, And he's an athlete at like six foot nine. Like he moves really well. He's a bit upright and stiff in terms of the way he moves, but he's an athletic kid that can really, really move around the court. Like he's averaging 1.6 blocks per game. He's a good weak side rim protector. He offensive rebounds like he finishes above the rim. He is like athletic enough to play in the NBA at the four position, right? He has a lot. He has like a long way to go. In terms of like feel for the game stuff. But our team's going to see this kid, six foot nine, really high level shooting potential, good help side, re- weak side rim protector, get steals. We think we can develop his feel for the game. Uh Taylor Hendricks could be, you know, something in the vein of a, I don't necessarily like I'm trying to think of like a four man who's like, a he can handle the ball a little bit, but like not, it's almost like, it's almost like Trevor Ariza, but like the four version of. Trevor Ariza not the three version Mm -hmm. right like when when trevor was younger like he could like get up and down and like really play the three right but as he moved into a later portion of his career he was more of a four at the end of the day um especially like the houston era years right so i I almost see him like that but there's a long way to go before he's going to be able to play in an nba game just from like a processing speed and like adjustment to speed of the game and everything like that so like does this kid declare for the draft does he he's a you know probably a two-year project like does his development continue to go right if it goes right he can be you know a very high level rotation player he has versatility defensively he has real potential to shoot from the Nba line from three like you can see all of the pieces there where if it really comes together he's like a he's a not uh, i don't know if i'd go as far as like super difference maker but he is like a really 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 good rotation player i think but like i i can't tell you if that's gonna come together or not like he just has such a long way to go still but if I was an NBA team, like I'd absolutely take a flyer on him in the top forty if he declared for the draft, because like the, it's just the exact skill set that you're looking for.
0: In the idea that you you have a couple roster spots to burn theoretically, and if it if it works, it works really well. You get at minimum a rotation player, potentially a starter. Like teams have yep. teams have done a lot have done a lot more for a lot less. I, I is one yeah. way to put it. And that yeah, that's really interesting. And that will also lead to challenges in the you know if things hold the way they are in terms of promises and and what are the thresholds and how does the nil and everything else change that for some of these players like is it 40 is it 30 is it 35 25 whatever it's going to be but that'll be a key question i i want to shift into so you brought up that there's a group from three to nine yep do you want to give kind of a little bit of run through i'll ask some clarifying questions of of who those players are and what makes them interesting
1: yeah sure so Amen. Thompson is the guy that I think most people have at number three right now. He is a six foot seven ish lead guard basically with a six foot 11 wingspan and he will enter the nba as one of the five most athletic players in the nba wow he is that level athlete like he is like explosive in the open court his first step is elite he has all sorts of elite level twitch he is he lives above the rim like i think he will win a dunk contest level athlete uh, as a dunker uh if he decides to participate in one um He absolutely lives in the paint. Nobody can stay in front of him at that level, and he's played in Europe. Nobody could stay in front of him when he was playing in this European tour that OTE did this summer. Like, it it is... He, he is a ridiculous, ridiculous athlete. His problem is, and he's like an elite level live dribble passer. Like you, you can see all of the skills here. He's a great rim finisher. Can't shoot at all right now. Like I, I don't even know what the, like what the upside is as a shooter, but he is such an elite level athlete in terms of putting pressure on the paint that I, he is one of the very, very, very few players that I think can live without shooting. So let's start there. What What is your impression? When I give you that impression, what is your immediate
0: thought? He's going to have to defend at a high level. And He's an
1: elite, elite level yeah, defender. I've, I've heard, I've heard that about
0: both of them. And if you run into the Ben Simmons question, which is, is he good enough with the ball in his hands? Or theoretically, you could think about the role that Draymond Green has as a screener, as a kind of as a as a component to to do it. Because if you're not, if you can't, if if you can't be that on ball player, and they're not going to respect your shot, at least temporarily, maybe you can get to a place where that can improve with time. I, I think I've heard that both the Thompson twins have good work ethics is like
1: yeah elite level character elite yes. level work ethic on both So sides.
0: so then so in the intermediate in the or sorry in the, in this like period before a jump shot hopefully comes you're going to run into issues about fit with with a great team and not as much yep. an 82 game problem as a 16 game problem and yep but the thing that i i hark back to is and it's funny i brought up ben simmons because that that is the one that sticks in my crawl a little bit is high level players with obvious weaknesses go one of two directions one is they improve it to the point where it becomes less of a weakness i'm not saying they turn into a strength that's often too much to ask especially with the other strengths that that Amon has. The other is they just don't and it it becomes this festering sore as it is kind of for ben simmons at at times yeah and my inclination is players who are who are this good and who have this clear incentive are going to figure it out and that's also my hope i try to be an optimist when it comes to these young young men and so i would say not knowing as much as i will eventually about the other guys i would roll those dice high like just because player if he's that level of athlete and has the feel to be that kind of passer and you the the you think they'll figure that one thing out because in very rare circumstances jump it's it's hard for a jumper to be broken forever if you actually want to improve it. It's possible, but it's unlikely.
1: Okay, so I'm looking through Ben Simmons's, you know, numbers at LSU, and this is why I think that um and is a very different player than Ben Simmons. Um, 26% of Ben Simmons's possessions came in transition. To be expected with an elite level athlete like that. Do you know what his most common, like next most common play type was at LSU?
0: my instinct was going to be pick and roll ball handler but uh, maybe something like cuts
1: no it was post-ups they ran a oh ton that's of right
0: they did run a ton ben. of post-ups for him at lsu
1: Here, here's a crazy number ben simmons according to synergy only had 23 possessions that season where he was a pick and roll ball handler um
0: sorry I'm, I'm preventing myself from screaming
1: yeah i know it was bad johnny jones didn't do the best job maximizing ben i don't think on that roster um which is crazy because ben was like you know up for national player of the year for a big portion of that year because he was dominant in many ways. Um, Amin is a little bit different insofar as like he's going to run like ball screens and like be a super he's already like a high level ball screen player and like whereas Ben was never had like a great first step, right? Like Amin has an elite one that is almost impossible to keep out of the paint. So like it's really hard to come up with a comparison that doesn't sound fucking hyperbolic, right? Like John Morant is probably like the closest thing in terms of like just pure paint pressure Jha's a better player jaws is I-, I think an even better athlete than Amin which is crazy to say because I think Amin is unbelievable and just said that he's going to enter the NBA as like a top five athlete but like Jaw has just this like incredible hang time and finishing package and Amin has it's very Amon is one of the few people that can say that like he lives in that stratosphere with Jaw. But I think jaw is like a, the top end of that, you know, stratosphere and Amon is like somewhere to the middle, lower portion of it. Um, Like the body control, the finishing packages, everything like that with jaw. And then on top of it, I think jaw's a little bit better of a passer and jaw entered the NBA much more developed as a shooter than what Amon is. And ultimately that's going to be, I think the difference But, like, just purely in terms of paint pressure, I think that that is kind of the closest thing that we've seen to Ja. So, like, I I still don't really know. Like, I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm still trying to make heads or tails of it. And I've, like, I've broken down tape with them at this point Mm -hmm. and, like, have, like, watched dozens and dozens of games. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around how it's going to work in the NBA. But like, I say all this to say, like, I think he's one of those few guys that can like really live without a jump shot on some level, which I know is like almost a fool's errand in today's NBA and does give limitations as teams really scheme you in the playoffs. You're hundred percent right that it's a 16 game problem, but he's just such a freak show athlete. Like it's, it, it is unbelievable watching him play athletically. He is, he is a different dude. And I just, I don't know, like I I still have him at three. Like, I'll be honest. I still have him at three because I still just think that the ceiling, if he gets any semblance of a jump shot, he is a many-time all-star. He, he is that He's that level. I,
0: the other element to remember, and this has come up not only with Ben Simmons, but with Giannis and John and a few others, Zion maybe eventually here, is... Zion it doesn't, was
1: another example yeah, I was thinking of. That's it, a good call.
0: It doesn't have to be a three. It can be a pull-up two. It can be a couple of different things. And that makes... It it, it makes development a little bit easier. It's not just a single goal. It doesn't even have to be an on-ball three. It could be a catch-and-shoot. You could operate it in a couple different ways. And I I'm, that makes me even more excited to eventually watch Almond's film. I'm not there yet. Is Osar one of the other guys in this group, or do you have him in a tier below?
1: I have him in this tier more toward the bottom of this tier. Okay. Uh, Asor is not... Asor has all of the, like explosiveness that Amon does just in terms of like he gets off the ground right like he is a great leaper in a similar way to Amon and he will enter the NBA as one of the 25 best athletes in the league right like he is an exceptionally high level athlete like elite of the like the NBA is the elite of the elite the elite he is the elite of the NBA right athletically but he is not quite as polished as a like Pick and roll decision maker He's more of like A second side creator It's the way they were Developed right Like Amon was always The point guard Assur was always The wing And he was a really Good passer He makes really High level reads But he's a little bit More of a scorer Like his footwork Is a little bit More fine tuned As a driver And as A uh, Like more polished You know Attempting to be Like a pull up scorer Right His shot Is further along Than Amund's Is He still Is is very streaky um it's still a little bit robotic there's a lot of work to do with it but he again is a super elite athlete that is a great defender that can really pass can drive and put pressure on the paint as a second side player ultimately he i think he needs the jumper more than Amon does because he doesn't have that same level of twitch that you see with Amon.
0: That's fascinating. And it ties in. I remember there, were some, there was some stuff about that with the Lopez twins back in the day that they had kind of complementary skill sets because they played so much together. And yeah. the Thompson twins, have, of course, played a lot together at this point. They presumably played against each other, like in the backyard and equivalents, but on the same teams. And so you develop in, in a little bit of a different way. I think it's also positive for Amon if Osar's jumper is further along, because that means, you know, you, think, you could think that some of the mechanics could eventually be similar there. And I I wonder how much of that development and I, I talked a little bit about this with Stefan No, who is who's been to some overtime elite games about the idea that that it, it is kind of in some ways the opportunities that have presented to, that have been presented to the two of them rather than have their physical capabilities which is going to be so fun to see as they progress on in their careers and basketball lives of just what, what diverges what stays the same and a lot of that will also be the influence of the teams that draft these two young men and so what do they what do they encourage and everything else and so it's going to be a lot of fun lots more to discuss with Sam Vecini but first a message from BetOnline.ag BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting for football and basketball this season you'll always find the latest odds team matchup info player news and game trends at BetOnline always your continued source for sports wagering information BetOnline features live betting free contests and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf, game and ev- game events, head to betonline.ag and use the CLNS50 promo code to receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts let's work through then okay so we have two of the players in this three through nine spoken for where do you want to go next do you want to go to the arkansas guys
1: yeah let's go to the arkansas guys so anthony black and nick smith are the two guys there that are terrific and that is truly an eye of the beholder thing so i really like both of them i think that the consensus is that nick smith is a better player than anthony black i disagree um i don't even know that i disagree but again i think that anthony black fits more within my personal ideals and belief system of basketball than nick smith does nick smith is your typical hooper who like just gets buckets at an exceptionally high level and has all sorts of shit to him off the bounce has great footwork uses his shoulders super well to faint gets separation for his jumper i think he's also already in the few games that he's played because he missed the first part of the season with like a little knee concern. Mm-hmm. Um, not a serious thing or anything. They were just very cautious with getting him back because obviously he, he is who he is. He has also been more of a willing and potent off ball player cutter willing to, Move without the ball in order to create advantages for himself than he ever showed at the prep level. Uh, a lot of the time at the prep level, he just had the ball in his hands, right? Sure. So I, I really, really like Nick Smith a lot. So w- when I say all of this, I, I don't mean to denigrate Nick Smith. I just love Anthony Black's game. He is a six foot seven lead guard who is an extremely high level passer, super high level processor of basketball. Just in terms of guys who like know how to play and know how to get their teammates involved. Anthony Black is it. He is awesome in this. He is so, so good at it. And the big question for him coming into the year was the shooting and he is not a great shooter i think that that is fair to say he's shooting 41 percent right now on three three-point attempts per game the shot mechanics are funky i have real worries about how it's going to look as he expands the range out to the three-point line but he's shooting 75 percent from the line he's had some really nice touch finishes at the basket this season and he's shooting 53% from the field. Uh he's averaging 1.8 steals per game, 5 blocks per game. He is a physical point of attack defender. He gets everyone involved. So much of what he does doesn't even show up on the stat sheet. Like he has to lead the country in potential assists that his teammates don't convert. Mm. Um, and that's not a statement on his teammates. He's really good team around him. It's just like for whatever reason, I think he's gotten a little bit unlucky right now in terms of what the assist numbers could be. Because like I went through this Oklahoma game yesterday morning when I woke up that they played this weekend. Arkansas did. And Nick Smith had, like, 25 points. You know, Ricky Council had, like, 25 points in this game. But I was just, like, blown away. Like, Anthony Black was getting everyone involved. He was the guy just running the show at the lead guard position. it seemed like, I think he only had five assists in that game, but like, it seemed like he should have had like 12 or 15 or something based off of the number of potential assists that he created for his teammates. Uh, it, this is just the kind of guy that I love big, great positional size, great feel for the game processes, the game in an exceptionally high level. Um, good finisher the rim shooting has potential but there are enough positive indicators in terms of touch that you can see it working at the end of the day
0: i was lucky enough to get to see both black and nick smith in the hoop summit and what i yep. it's funny to hear a lot of that it ties in with what i saw i i didn't take the greatest notes at the hoop summit but one of the things that stuck out to me about about anthony black was this phrase i will often use as a criticism but in this case i am not i thought he was shorter than he is because he moved very well and f- naturally, and then yeah. when I saw that he was six seven, I'm like, oh, okay, like this is something a little bit different. And you can see that applying on defense, which both of them did at the Hoop Summit. There, I, I was impressed with the building blocks and the communication. Some of those, some of those big elements for them. And so with Black, yeah, I mean, it, it whether he'll be able, you'll you'll know this better than I will in terms of whether he'll be able to kind of create those advantages one on one in the NBA, or Whether he'll become more of a play finisher, you know second side guy that's gonna it'll be a key question and then if if it ends up being the latter not the former then jump shot matters more just like the thompson twins as we talked about a second ago and so that'll be a uh, it'll be a key question but one of the things that i really like about the guys from this class that i know is that they have these other kind of Elements in place. And I mean, we've even seen this in recent years with players like Herb Jones and Dyson Daniels who are coming into the league better defensively with not necessarily like significantly better tools, rather better like mental tools is probably the right way to put it. They're more prepared for what is coming. Defensively than we saw before, and it's it's wild. Like, I mean, Herb Jones totally changed the way that I thought about rookies playing defense.
1: Yeah, Herb, I mean, Herb is special on defense. For and sure. I love that guy coming in, and Dyson is as well. Um, I, I don't think Anthony Black is either of those guys necessarily, but I, I do think that guys are coming in much more prepared to be high-level defenders. This is something I think you and I have talked about before uh, on the show, to be honest. I, I, guys are coming in, I think, with a better understanding maybe this is a better way to put it it's very possible that I think the way that NBA teams defend is trickling down a little bit more to college basketball and I think especially in Dyson's case to the G league. Like that was basically an NBA level scheme. Um, I think that that effect has allowed guys to become much more capable in terms of their defensive awareness, in terms of their uh, just overall intelligence entering the NBA than what we've seen previously. Um, Herb Jones, Dyson Daniels, Evan Mobley was another great defender. I I thought that last year like was maybe the best defensive rookie class I can remember. I mean, I even thought that like Cade Cunningham was pretty good defensively last year. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was in that class that I really liked defensively. Scotty was better than he's been this year. Uh, Scotty had some moments on ball where like his stiffness kind of played up uh, significantly, concerningly, but he was okay defensively Jalen Suggs was really good defensively as a rookie Franz Wagner was in the right spots defensively consistently Davion Mitchell was like an impact defender at the point of attack last year um the list kind of goes on and on and I think that some of it does have to do with like a trickle down of you know I think that guys are entering the league just more intelligent about what it takes to be a high level defender in the NBA
0: it's a little bit jarring but um, i'm so happy about it and we'll see where things go from here i know we'll get a lot of opportunities to talk about both smith and, and black moving forward we we have a couple more guys in this group who who else is there
1: so let's talk about brandon miller and case and wallace next these are two guys that i think we can talk about very quickly i don't think either of them are going to go number three case and wallace is just like a six foot three ish Six foot three to six foot four, kind of combo guard. But man, does he just fucking know how to play? There's just not another way to put it. Like his intelligence defensively, like this is a guy that is going to make an impact immediately defensively in the NBA. His anticipation is absolutely outstanding. His motor runs hot the entire game and he's strong. Like most guys don't come into the NBA with that level of ability to like take it. You know, smaller guys, this is like six foot three to six foot four guys. Like when a big wing creator puts his shoulder into you and tries to create that little separation for a pull-up jumper, most guys like can't really hold their ground because they're 19 and they're young and they're still developing their frames. Cason Wallace's contact balance and his ability like to slide and get his chest in front of you and withstand that bump that a ball handler is going to give you is just so strong for a guy that is as young as he is. He is super impactful with his hands very disruptive dealing with dribble handoffs, very disruptive as a pick and roll defender. He's he just knows how to play in the team concept at an exceptionally high level. I also really, really like that he's turned into a high-level movement shooter that catches and fires immediately. I think that those are the two areas that he's going to be able to make an impact in early on, even as the rest of his skill set develops. Uh, he is a capable lead guard right now at the college level he is not like a standout that You can run your offense through all the time, in my opinion. Um, He is a little bit more scoring oriented. He's not a selfish player. He's just trying to figure things out um, in terms of his ball handling and in terms of being able to like separate from defenders at a really high level. I would be surprised if a six foot three to six foot four, you know, combo guard goes three overall. That is defense first, right? That just doesn't really happen. Brandon Miller at Alabama is a six foot nine kind of combo wing forward, more toward the forward side of the equation who shoots really well from three, shooting over 40% from three. He's switchable defensively. Something we talk about all the time on the show when I'm on is how hard it is to find guys that are six foot nine. that can shoot threes that are switchable defensively. Having said that, I think that some people are Brandon Miller is a guy that is a little bit polarizing because he's shooting like 32% in the, uh, inside the three-point arc right now. And I think a lot of it is because his footwork is really bad and his like his planning and prep for his drives is just like not very good right now. He has the physical tools to be a good driver. I think it's just going to take time working with a trainer to get his footwork right as much as anything. Um, the big thing though, is like, I just don't think he has quite enough game to like pass, Amon and, and the next guy we're going to talk about, uh, particularly among guys that are like six foot seven to six foot nine, good defensively, um, You know, and in Brandon's case, Brandon's a better shooter than these other two, but... uh I like Brandon. I see him more as like a seven to fourteen player, as opposed to a like top half of the lottery guy.
0: Right, like a player who goes in the seven to fourteen range. But if it works out, that team is going to be really happy. Like I, I'm not saying there's some more players because I don't know them well, but kind of in line maybe with what happened with Trey Murphy.
1: Kind of, yeah. I, I'm not I comparing that, them
0: as players, but the idea that yeah, like Trey yeah. Murphy shouldn't have really gone that much higher because he just didn't have the on-ball kind of juice, but you knew that a team could be very happy
1: happy with him. Yeah. I, I think that there is some of that with Brandon Miller. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying now. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon is interesting And
0: Case K- Wallace has a good wingspan too, right? Going back to him I think I remember hearing that He's strong <sighs> and has a decent one
1: You know, I, I want to get a measurement I've heard different things I've heard like plus three I've heard plus six I, I don't know what I don't know what is what it's going to come in at, I guess I think that the Kentucky Combine Only had it at like plus three okay. But I often think that those Like collegiate Combine numbers Like if you look at the Kentucky uh, Combine I felt like seventy-five percent of the team had a forty-inch vertical, right? <laughs> so, like, I, I don't, I don't know what to do with those collegiate pro day numbers quite yet. I don't mean that as a shot at Kentucky. I think that oftentimes, like, unless you have like freaking bam testing coming and doing it, you might get variant numbers. Um, let's go to the guy that I think has the most potential to surpass Amon Thompson now, though. Sure, that is Cam Whitmore at Villanova. Mm-hmm. Did was Cam at Hoop Summit?
0: I he, was. he was. What he was. He was one she? of my favorites at the Hoop Summit. Um, yeah. He. Um, I mean, good positional size. You know, you and I love you and I love wings. Nice explosion on a few of his finishes. And one of the things that I really liked about Whitmore, both in the practices, but especially in live action, he had some good finds as a secondary creator. And so, like, you're not necessarily like I didn't see in those scrimi- those practices, drills, and scrimmages the tools to be like the on ball star but i saw the elements that if it's the two dribbles and a good decision type of player that really looked good especially with all the other physical attributes
1: yeah no i with cam the processing speed is like the thing that we have to get more more tape on i I don't know if he can't do it i just want to get more tape um I, i don't think he's deficient in that way i just don't know if it's a standout skill for him in the way it is for say anthony black or Amon thompson right but cam whitmore six foot seven 225 to 230 pounds and is explosive as shit like there's just not another way to put it right like he is powerful he is strong but beyond that he also possesses this grace in the air and this body control to like Actually, plant and use his footwork. Like it feels like, it feels like his explosiveness often can kind of come out of nowhere at times. Like there's a possession from this weekend against Boston college was the first possession that he got points on. He, they tried to put two on the ball. He split the defenders, took one dribble and like gathered and it looked like he just like go up for a layup. And then out of nowhere, he like skies from like seven feet away for what would have been just an enormous dunk if he didn't get fouled. And then he went to the line and made both three. Throws, but like it, it's just one of those things where, like, you don't expect the explosiveness that he has given how physically strong he is. Um, he is a good ball handler. He has good shake when trying to create his own. Like, I think he can get to his step back at a really, really high level with good, like grace and, um, fainting and ability to get defenders off balance. I also would like to see more of the jump shot. There's like a very small hitch, even though I think he has pretty good touch. I think like it's pretty fixable overall. And then, I would like to see more of just the overall processing speed on both ends of the court. He has every ability to be a high level defender, but you know, Villanova ran zone a lot of the time, for instance, against Boston college. And, I would just like to see I'd like to see a little bit more. Kim Whitmore's only played like two and a half games so far, but every indication from his high school tape, from the exhibition circuit, from the first two and a half games at Villanova is that this is a top five pick. Like th- this is the guy that we've been waiting for to like really kind of steady out the depth of this lottery class.
0: And also, Whitmore, as you know, going back as long as you and I have had conversations in audio form, he has a lot of the elements in place where you roll those dice, and even if it doesn't work on him being a star, it can work on him being a capable starter. And if it doesn't work as a capable yep. starter, then he's a high level reserve.
1: Yep, I think that's right.
0: And so, yeah, those, those players, you know, you could go back through almost, almost any draft over, over the years. And I mean, one, one that was like that for me was years and years ago was OG Ananobi, where I'm just like, the, da- the, the downside here just isn't. Is it low enough for how far he fell in the draft? And I got really, really mad. I didn't know him super well, but there are players like that almost every year where it's like, okay, you can do it. And yeah, there can be players like Tari Eason, who I had not watched film on other than when they played against Jabari, where it's like, well, is he gonna be good enough offensively to get to be a to be a surecut to be a surefire starter? But my instinct with somebody like Tari is that he's gonna play he's gonna play longer and maybe more minutes than at least like four or five guys that were drafted above him, just because of the position. Scarcity.
1: I think that's right. And look, I ended up I think I had a lot of lottery grade on Tari Eason as well. Like I, I, I had as many questions about his, you know, processing speed and everything like that as other people did in terms of why he didn't go as high in the draft as what some people thought he could. But no, I, I, I'm i totally in agreement with you. I think that Tari is a really good example of um, a guy where it's just like, look, these guys play, these guys get minutes. Yeah, I had Tari at 13 on my draft board. Mm-hmm. Um, I had AJ Griffin at. 11 on my draft board and he goes 16 and the, the only reason aj was below some of the guys that were there uh were ahead of him on my draft board was because like there was injury question about his knees right um you know this is a guy that struggled uh over the course of his prep career um in terms of injuries like he missed most of his junior se- junior and senior seasons in high school and then missed a good portion of his early career at Duke and like never really adjusted. Right. And now we're seeing it, you know, with the Hawks that he looks awesome and he looks really, really valuable for Atlanta. So even though, even though he is, you know, who he was defensively um, and that wasn't necessarily great, he he still has a real chance, I think, to make a high level impact in the NBA just because of his shooting and because of his uh, ability to, Get on the court as a six foot six, semi athletic wing.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great point. And uh, is there anybody else in this in that group, or have we covered everybody now?
1: We've covered everybody in that group. I know some people will throw in Gigi Jackson at mm. South Carolina. Um, I know some people will throw in Keontae George. I have those two guys like next. I have Gigi at ten and Keontae at eleven. Right, like it, this isn't a slight at either of those guys. I, I just need to see a little bit more from Gigi in terms of his ability to actually create separation. Um, He's 17 years old. Like, wow. The fact that he's averaging 17 and eight so far is crazy. It's just that like, he's the hardest evaluation in college basketball this year because he's 17 years old. He's playing at South Carolina where there is approximately nobody around him who can get him anything resembling an easy shot. He's not all that efficient right now. I don't think he gets the most out of his athleticism. Um, It's, it's an, he's going to be an interesting one, uh, to track this year, but so far he's shooting 43.7% as a six foot nine forward, because I mean, look, like I'll, I'll look up the percentage of shots that have been assisted for him as I kind of talk through this, but it's not many. Like I, I can tell you that right now, he does not get, uh, much help around him. And it often results in situations where, um, things are difficult. Like he is his percentage of shots that are assisted at the rim is 29%. Wow. As a six foot nine guy that plays a decent amount of center for them. Um, his, his, he is like 80% of his threes assisted, which again, like you would almost expect that number to be closer to like 90 to 95% um, where he's like occasionally assisting threes or occasionally making unassisted threes. He has to create everything for himself. Um, He's shooting 69% at the rim, despite the fact that his percentage of shots Uh, that are assisted at the rim are only 29%. It is very possible that he moves into this next tier um, of like that. It makes it like a three through 10 range for me. Mm -hmm. I I just want to see more of what he looks like against elite level competition because South Carolina just hasn't played anybody yet, really. Um, Like the best team they've played might be Clemson, Maybe um, off the top of my head. Yeah, Clemson and Furman. I watched the Furman game and Furman's a good mid-major. Like I don't mean to take shots. Like they have a guy in Jalen Slosson that I'm actually like semi-interested in as an NBA player, uh, like as a two-way guy. Mm-hmm. But like South Carolina lost to Furman by 19. <laughs> <laughs> they, they lost to Colorado State by 32. Wow. This is a disaster level team.
0: Yeah, that that makes it really hard to to evaluate a lot of this. I want to ask you about two other players, two players that I'm a little bit familiar with that haven't come up yet in it. One of them, you know, this was a pro, maybe you remember this is my favorite player from the Hoop Summit was Jarris Walker, and I know that Houston yeah. Houston was having a really strong year. They fell they fell on Saturday or Sunday, I believe, for their to, to they I doubt they number one anymore. But how has he looked so far?
1: Yeah. It's funny. I have to watch. I'm going to sit down and like watch a ton of his tape today because that's every week on my podcast that I do with Mark Schindler. Mark and I pick a prospect to talk about and we dive deep into them and kind of break down their games. And Jairus is the guy that we're going to do this week. Um, In the moments I've seen looks like a very good kind of combo forward big almost more than like a wing at six foot eight he has great length he has like a seven foot two wingspan his motor runs hot my initial impressions and i'm gonna sit down and watch like a crazy amount more today so like by the time i record my podcast tomorrow i might feel somewhat differently because i haven't even watched the alabama houston game Mm -hmm. yet but my impression has been that i would like to see a little bit more out of what he can do processing basketball um like, how well does he read the game? How well does he play within a team concept? How well does he take advantage of, like, marginal advantage situations, mm-hmm. right? Where, you know, he's reading the floor. He sees that he has a mismatch, sees that he's a disadvantage. Is he capable of making of making hay of that by passing the ball and by making plays? Um, I have him like right outside of this tier. I have him like in that group from like 15 to 18, basically, or 14 to 18. So very hot. Like, I like what I've seen so far. I like the potential for defensive versatility with his motor and length. I just would like to see more in terms of where he is offensively Um and I don't know that we're going to see that this year because Houston is very good. They have a lot of really high-level players. They have a lot of really good guards in Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser and Terrence Arsenault and Tremont Mark that will take a lot of their shots. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued to track how Jarris goes this year.
0: The last player, and it's funny, we've talked about a set of identical twins. This is a set of identical twins where one of them is already in the league, and that's Chris Murray kind of taking on his brother Keegan's role, I'm guessing, somewhat in Iowa. How has he looked so far?
1: Yeah, a little bit bit for sure so you know chris is averaging 19 and 10 right now has been similarly productive i don't think he quite has as much game as keegan did like i don't think that he has like the ability to bend and like create shots in the way that keegan did last year but i do think that he is a very high level player like he gets a lot more of his offense like crashing the offensive glass knocking down catch and shoot threes um doing a little bit of more of that stuff whereas keegan last year was like transition and post play. Um, Chris is a little bit more like crash the offensive glass, catch and shoot threes kind of like that ballpark. Um, yeah. looks, looks good. looks like a first round pick in my opinion, for sure. Like he's 22 years old and he's six foot eight and is a reasonable defensive player. Like those guys go right around 20. I think even if they're relatively limited.
0: Nice. I, I think I, I'm, that makes me, that makes me feel a little bit better about it. Cause my, my take on it basically was that anytime, anytime you have players that are like that, they, like, Chris's game actually looked somewhat similar, not the same, as you mentioned, to, to Keegan, is that generally you'll see the reputations get closer to even, and it sounds like that's happening a little bit with Chris Murray, which is very encouraging. Last question, we're in mid-December, kind of getting closer to conference season. I know things are, are all garbled now with everything, reform the conference, conference realignment and everything else. If somebody's more of an NBA-focused person, are there any... Teams or players that you think like, oh, if you if you hear that team Mm -hmm. or that player, maybe maybe give them a watch over the next month or two.
1: I will tell you this. Connecticut has like three or four prospects that I'm like very interested in and think are potential players in Andre Jackson Jordan Hawkins and Donovan Klingon like I, I think that all three of those guys have a chance to be first round picks if the right team just like falls in love with them they also have a Sinogo who's like one of the best players in college basketball you know 68 true shooting percentage 37 percent from three you know six foot nine bruiser who just like beats the hell out of you know post players inside the thing I like about Connecticut is I think that they are are the best defensive team in the country mm. in terms of they play like an NBA style defensively. Like when Sunogo, like when Sunogo is in, they will like hard hedge middle ball screens, ice side ball screens and like, really try and just like get the offense like off kilter, right? They have four guys in at all times around their center position that rotate and fly around and play super high level defense. Like Andre Jackson for Connecticut is one of the best perimeter defenders in all of college basketball. Um, Hassan Diara, Jordan Hawkins, Tristan Newton, Naheem lean, Alex Karaban. Like all these guys are super, super high level defenders. Uh, And because of that, their rotations are always on point. They play with great ball pressure. They're just a super, super effective defensive team. They're one of the more fun defenses to watch that I've seen in college basketball in a little while. Um, so I would point to Connecticut as a very fun team to watch. But if you're particularly on the lookout for prospects, you know, just kind of looking through where a majority of the prospects here are located, like you go through my you know top 10 guys that we just listed, right? So Anthony Black and Nick Smith, Brandon Miller, Kaysen Wallace, Gigi Jackson, you take away the top three guys, Victor women, Yama, Scoot Henderson, um, Amon Thompson. You know, those guys are not playing college basketball. That is like five of the seven guys that we just talked about are in the SEC this year. So I would point to Arkansas. I would point to Alabama. I would point to Kentucky, wait for one of those teams to play South Carolina. You mm-hmm. might only have to watch the first half in terms of it being competitive. <laughs> um, other guys and other teams, Houston, I think has a couple of potential first round picks in Jarrus Walker and Terrence Arsenault. Um, yeah, Connecticut, I think, has a couple of potential first-round picks. I love the way Illinois plays. Uh, they have Terrence Shannon and Coleman Hawkins, both of whom are upperclassmen, that have been pretty good this year. But they're a little bit hit or miss, depending on the day that you see them. Um Look, in the G League Ignite, like has dudes like Leonard Miller is starting to learn how to play without the ball in his hands. And it's been pretty effective from time to time this year. Uh, They obviously have Scoot Henderson. They have another guy I really like in C.D. Sissoko. F.A. Aboogity is apparently how we're pronouncing his name now. Um, F.A. Aboogity is a guy that, you know, if it wasn't for multiple knee injuries in his past, I think would be seen as a really high level potential center prospect, uh, due to his athleticism and shooting ability and, um, you know potential in ball screens as a defender, so I-, I would point to the G League Ignite. You know, catch a couple of Ignite games; they're really fun. They're a really good time.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, my friend, and we hopefully we'll do it again. I don't know, maybe Ron We'll do it again. Hopefully soonish. I don't know when. Yeah,
1: I'm. I'm always available, Danny. I will talk to you very soon, man.
0: Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic. You can listen to the Game Theory podcast that he does, which is. Really, really good. Covers both college basketball and NBA. Has great guests on. You can check that out as well. And you can follow him if somehow you don't already at Sam underscore Vicini on Twitter. S A M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. Love having him on, love our conversations, and and we wish he still lived closer, but he's doing very well in Australia, so that's more selfish for me than anything else. If you want to support Real GM Radio, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode, whatever podcast player you use, Apple, Spotify, wherever, because Real GM Radio will never come out on a specific day of the week. That's just not the way it's ever going to work. So if you subscribe, then it just pops in whatever it is you can't really get into a Habit, So that kind of does the habit for you. You can also help other people find the show by leaving a rating and review in the podcast player of your choosing or word of mouth, social media, however you want to do it, single episode, or the show in general. Really do appreciate that. But the single most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. And for this episode, that is betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and to tell them that you came from us. So hopefully they keep advertising on this podcast. You can also check out my other work. Nate Duncan and I are going strong with Dunked On Prime, doing a mix of, you know, 15 and 60s and Gamers, and we're going to have one of our big podcasts coming out later this week. I've already started my prep and still have lots of prep to do on it, but it's one of my favorites. I actually, I actually absolutely love doing the prep on it. And you also get John Hollinger's audio work. You get... Dan Feldman's awesome Daily Dunks, you get Seth Partnows, I think we're calling him Nerd Noshes, which have been very good, I'm reading those every time they come in the feed a couple times a week, and you can also check out my written work at The Athletic, just did a collaborative piece with Kelly Eco on the Rockets, which was a lot of fun to do, and have some other things, I've started working on a a piece actually inspired by a podcast I did recently, Um, I don't know when that's going to come out, it's going to take me longer to write than most of them do, so we'll have to see on that. And then you can also check out the NBA strategy stream that's Nate and I calling games. And you can watch it. It's through League Pass. We are going to be doing Pelicans Jazz. Should be a really fun one on Thursday. I believe it's a 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific start. I could be slightly wrong on that. You could check. That's the timing that's listed on the schedules, of course. Those are a lot of fun to do. And you can actually ask questions using the hashtag NBA strategy stream on those teams or anything else. You can ask them anytime during the week, and our producer should be able to pull them. So you could just, it's a question. You want to get it on air on League Pass. It's an easy way to do it. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. And that is more than enough for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.